Hello, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. And with all my heart, I hope you hear something that edifies, encourages, equip, enlightens, and then engages you in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and before you listen, I want to take a quick moment and explain to you this month's truth tool. The book is called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. You know, it's paramount as followers of Christ that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. So questions like heaven and hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But sometimes we don't fully understand what it is we believe about Christianity. So the book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith is just that. It's concise And it's a wonderful guide to explain to you the cornerstones of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount because In the Market with Janet Parshall is a listener-supported broadcast. We stay on the air because you pray and give. So if you'd like this month's Truth Rule, just call 877-JANET-58. Ask for a copy of I Believe. That's 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online to InTheMarketWithJanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. If a gift of any amount, we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. While you're on that website, you might want to take a moment, scroll down just a little bit farther, and there's a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are people who give at a level of their own choosing, and they give every month. They get the truth tool if they ask for it every single month, and they'll also get a newsletter, only people that do, that includes an audio portion that only goes to my partial partners. So if you want to be a partial partner or you're just interested in giving one time to get a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58 is the route to go, 877-JANET-58, or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. I Believe, a great book for you to put in your backpack as you continue your Pilgrim's Progress. Now, please enjoy the podcast. Friends, this is Janet Parshall. Thanks so much for choosing to spend the next hour with us. Today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open. But thanks so much for being with us, and enjoy the broadcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely rare safety move by a nation. 17 years the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. Friends, welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. I am thrilled we're going to spend the hour together, and boy, is this going to be a great conversation. You know, this program is called In the Market because it's about nudging us gently but necessarily out into the marketplace of ideas. And when we get there, there's going to be a bunch of stuff sold, a lot of it shabby goods, counterfeits, but you and I need to be there to declare truth, to absolutely dispense truth, to recognize truth, to stand up for truth. But as you just heard in that opening montage, which is how we start this program every single day, there's a cacophony of noise out there. And one of the things that really gets people upset is, how do I engage as a follower of Jesus Christ in the world around me? Now that, boy, we could have a 10-hour conversation on that, because there are still some believers who believe that they are called just to evangelize. I triple dog dare you to find that scripture that says, I am called just. Yes, you're called to evangelize. Go and tell. Go out into the world, make disciples of all men. That's a universal directive for every single one of us. But just? Hardly the case. Hardly the case. And yet we struggle with how exactly we engage the culture because we don't want to be partisan. We don't want to be political. I get that. I understand that. You don't want to be offensive for the sake of the cross, right? 
What did Paul say? I've become all things to all people by all means so that some might be saved. But we're also told to seek the welfare of the city. That was a message delivered by Jeremiah to people who turned their back on God and were disappointed and did not heed his warning and found themselves exactly where God said they would end up. We're in a captive culture today as well. So how do we seek the welfare of the city? Well, it has to be people-oriented, first, last, and always. And that means that we have to say, how are we dealing with minorities in this country as followers of Christ? So I have the privilege of introducing to you a man who's been a friend of mine for a long period of time. He doesn't know how much I respect him. I've watched him, national television, national publications, but more importantly, as a follower of Jesus Christ, his quiet, gracious, winsome way, always Christ-centered, always seeking the welfare of the city. Harry Jackson is a preacher, and he serves as the senior pastor at Hope Christian Church in Beltsville, Maryland. He is also the presiding bishop of the International Community of Evangelical Churches. He's the founder and chairman of the High Impact Leadership Coalition. That's a group of ministers who actively promote socially conservative causes. Bishop Jackson is also co-founder of the Reconciled Church Initiative, and that is about bringing racial healing to the church and America. He has authored several books, including You Were Born for More, Six Step to Breaking Through to Your Destiny, and he also co-authored with George Barnett the book High Impact African American Churches, which got the Silver Medallion Award from the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. He joins us today because he's written a manifesto. When anybody uses that word, it's designed to get your attention on purpose. We are at a pivotal state in our culture, and as Harry writes early on in his book, we've had two bumps in the road. One was COVID-19, and the other were the stunning, horrific murders of people like Aubrey Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. And as a result of that, we're looking out into a culture that seems to be unraveling. Harry's going to challenge us this hour on why Christian America needs to make a contract with minorities. And by Christian American, I want to make sure that you and I understand that. I'm not making the declarative statement that America is a Christian nation. If you watched the evening news last night, I'll tell you what, I'd be embarrassed to call this a Christian nation. Were we a nation that was predicated on Christian principles? Do we believe that our rights come from God himself? Only country on earth, by the way, that word, those inalienable or unalienable, an interesting fight between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, which was the right word. Here's what that 50 cent word means that we only use when we talk about our rights. It means they come from God. So therefore, we can say our nation was built on Christian principles. But how do we seek the welfare of the city? Because the evidence is overwhelming that we have not done that. But Harry Jackson has a way forward. Harry, the warmest of welcomes. Wow, I'm really glad you can't see my copy of your book. (laughs) It is so underlined and dog-eared and has stickies all over it. There are hours and hours of conversation we could have in this book. It is superb, and I thank you so much. You do something really neat. You use the paradigm of driving from Cincinnati, Ohio, to Norfolk, Virginia, and you use that idea of the family throughout the book. Why? Well, because we are a family. And we've been invited or brought into this family unit. But just like my family from years ago, the kids grow up, but you've got to accept the family values, Janet. And um, my family had a ritual that they took a trip at least once a year back to my mom's um, stomping grounds when she was a kid. And we got to know who we called Big Mama uh, and uh, 
also, she was married at that time. She was a widower and then remarried to Reverend Davis. And uh, he was an amazing preacher. And we got back to the Norfolk, Virginia area each year, and we learned a little bit more about serving God. We learned a little bit more about our heritage. And ultimately, it shaped our aspirations. And I'll say this, out of my family came the first black uh, chief justice of the Supreme Court of Virginia, Mm. um, the citywide head of nursing for Norfolk, Virginia, principals of schools, nurses, others. And we found that somehow there had been instilled in us on these trips and on the family dynamic a sense of destiny, direction, and faith. So I believe that's what we need right now (laughs) in America. Amen. Wow. You have an endorsement from our mutual friend, Tony Evans, who says, My good friend Harry Jackson has given us a solid tool for bringing about the much-needed spiritual and social change our nation is crying out for. This work will move us forward toward the biblical goals of righteousness and justice in our country. Bishop Harry Jackson is with us. His brand new book is called A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. Just getting started. Get ready to be challenged and to lengthen your prayer list. And those of you who have ears, let him hear this hour. Back after this. God, why am I here? How should I live? Could you find the answer to those crucial questions from God's Word? That's why I've chosen I Believe as this month's truth tool. Learn the essentials of our faith in a clear and succinct way. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. Or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. It is an honor, an absolute honor for me to spend the entire hour with Bishop Harry Jackson, who serves as the senior pastor at Hope Christian Church in Beltsville, Maryland. And as the presiding bishop of the Ambassadors of Hope, he is also the founder and chairman of the High Impact Leadership Coalition, which, as I noted earlier, is made up of pastors who actively promote causes out there from a biblical perspective. He is also the co-founder of the Reconciled Church Initiative, which seeks to bring racial healing not just to America, but particularly in the church. And that's where I want to go next, Harry, because you write this powerfully. Well, I tell you what, I have been on my knees since the death of George Floyd. I think there's something about being an eyewitness to a murder that has a way of yeah. sweeping away the cobwebs. There is no ambiguity that that was a hateful, evil, demonic act, and it needs to be just decried everywhere we possibly can. But as I've been praying, the Lord has been revealing to me that all of these excuses that so often white Christians use, well, I didn't own slaves, so I can't be held responsible. I didn't do that, so I'm not responsible. I suddenly realized for me personally, everybody else has to go in their own prayer closet and ask the Lord to talk to them. But that was a me-centric response. What you say beautifully is exactly what the Lord has been teaching me. Here's what you wrote. Collectively, the entire Christian community must speak to the hearts of minorities and say, we love you, we cherish you, 
and there is a place for you in this land. It isn't about whether or not you have a perfect track record. It's a matter of tapping into somebody else's pain like Jesus and having compassion and empathy. Talk to me about that. Yes, uh, Janet, a month ago or so, I was sitting on a platform in Dallas, Texas, um, with the president on my right, and Robert Morris, the pastor of Gateway Church in Dallas, uh, on his other side, uh, on his right. And at the end of our discussion, the talking session, um, I made the comment to the president that he didn't create the race problem in America, despite the political narrative. I would say the same of to any Democrat The reality is our communities have been given this heritage. We none of us were alive when it all started, but we've been placed here by God. We have a unique opportunity to heal or fix what's broken. And I began to talk to the president then at that time about listening as someone would listen to a spouse. Listen to the heart of these folks who have been so traumatized and who are angry enough to march in the street. And um, Martin Luther King Jr. said that uh, rioting is the language of the unheard. Mm. So people who don't feel like they're heard, they feel like enough is enough, they need to be listened to. And then we're going to have to pick out a godly strategy. It's not compromise. We're going to be biblical. We're going to be consistent. We want righteousness and justice in America, meaning right standing with God, living for the Lord, ourselves individually. But justice is what we create Mm -hmm. in a culture to glorify God, such as the Mayflower Compact. They said, we come to this land, and we want to bring the glory of God to this land, America. And I I think that's essentially uh, where we are. So nobody needs to take shaming from this moment, even if you own some of your family owned slaves. But I do believe that not acting... Not taking steps in this season is unchristian, inhumane, all of that. And I think God has put in our lap an opportunity where people are motivated to change some things that need to be changed wisely. And we're not talking about pulling down statues in the middle of the night. We're not talking about burning and looting buildings. We're not talking about all this craziness, but we're going to follow Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, steps of nonviolent change and confrontation. And uh, I think we've got the greatest opportunity to for the church to lead in unifying herself. If we did that alone, we would then change laws as an amazing voter block And it doesn't matter what party you're part of. It's really all about what is the manifesto, 
the priority, the declaration of glory and truth and justice mm. that we want to have. It's got to be based on the Bible. And um, right now, both parties need to journey a little bit more biblically, I think, um, so that we can have a purer expression of the reality of Christ and his um, commandments and his principles in our earth. Amen and amen. Let me go back to something that you talked about. You in the book write that you're recommending that a national prayer movement be ignited by the Reconciled Church Movement and other allied prayer initiatives. Talk to me about that. And why do you think that is so, A, necessary, and B, important right now? Well, going back five years ago, Bishop T.D. Jakes, uh, James Robinson, and myself convened a meeting in Dallas, Texas, on January 15th, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, not the holiday, his actual birthday. And we had 200 Christians, leaders come together representing about 40 million believers in the United States. And an evening service on a Thursday night, about 7,000 people. And we came up with seven bridges to peace. And I can talk to you about those. I hear the music coming. You're a pro, Harry. um, Prayer is just one of the the bridges. Excellent. Let's go right to the seven bridges. And I want to talk a little bit more about that meeting in 2015 because it was historic. And I want people to know that God's people will, if they're obedient, respond and move according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. More with Bishop Harry Jackson right after this. We're visiting with Bishop Harry Jackson, who wears many hats, but he joins us today particularly as the author of a brand new timely book. It's called A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. And we're going to talk about the seven bridges to peace that Harry writes about in the book. But I want to go back to this very powerfully important meeting that took place. Some of you know about it. Some of you don't. But it was held January 15th, 2015. It was called The Reconciled Church Healing the Racial Divide. And there were all kinds of people who gathered together, very eclectic. Dr. Elvita King, who is the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King, was there. Dr. Jack Graham, who is with Prestonwood Baptist Church. John Hagee was there. Sammy Rodriguez from the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. Um, uh, The White House uh, Partnership Leader, um, Dubois, Joshua Dubois, who was there from 2009 to 2013. Jim Daly from Focus on the Family. Tony Evans, the list goes on and on and on. And you convened it, Harry, and you operated under the shibboleth of 2 Corinthians seven fourteen, and you got together because you knew that prayer was essential if we were going to heal our land. Talk to me about that. Well, we looked at the fact that the church was operating more like individual fiefdoms mm-hmm. based on ethnicity. And uh, so we had the head of... Uh, the full gospel Baptist movement there. We had key leaders from uh, the Southern Baptists, uh, many former presidents of that movement. We had from left to right, if you will, politically, Mm -hmm. but all of these were staunch Bible believers. 
and uh, Hispanics, Blacks, Asians, as the book now talks about. But we felt that prayer meetings were, in fact, minimized in uh, Christian culture recently, meaning that as I was convening the meeting, talking to some of these amazing leaders, they said, well, I hope all we're going to not... That all we're going to do is not just pray and sing Kumbaya. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so I had to say, no, no, we're going to start with prayer, but, and in an evening service, have worship, communion, etc. But our goal had to be to remember that prayer gathering citywide or community wide was a way for us to gain common ground. Basically, the black church, white church, Hispanic church, if I may use those terms, mm-hmm. don't know each other and don't hang out with each other in the same city. And um, so we were to get together and see that as a value. Then we looked at certain bridges to peace, which are now have been brought into this manifesto, the nine major things we talk about there. But we talked about education, we talked about reaching out and serving the poor as bridges to peace. We talked about family interventions uh, that could be made uh, across denominational lines, but also empowering our individual churches to take marriage seminars, other things, to the community to heal them. And so essentially, my criminal justice reform became the biggest and most accessible bridge that could unify the church. We could all get behind spiritually, politically in terms of public policy, etc. So when we finally became, many of us became advisors to the current administration, President Trump, when the list was drawn up, what are Christians concerned about? I was able, along with several of our friends, um, to mention, like Jack Graham, uh, to mention the fact that criminal justice reform would be something that would be justice-oriented that could appeal to both majority and minority believers, along with being life-oriented, pro-life. The president has followed that. We said that it was important for religious liberties, and there's a backstory on that if we have time to talk about. Uh, Three, we talked about uh, moving uh, in and supporting Israel uh, in a profound way, and we established these five things, and bringing jobs to the hood, if you will, uh, urban areas, Uh, is where opportunity zones began to be birthed. And so we listed those things to the president before his inauguration, and I was blessed to be one of the people who was able to stand at the uh, National Cathedral and pray on that day in the service. You know, there's a public service near one of our monuments, and then there's an internal uh, prayer service with thousands in a national cathedral. So 
this is really why I think prayer is the fuel. Janet, I'm going to make a poignant statement. It's going to sound so simple that it's going to shock your leaders <laughs> but and the people around. I've noticed over the years that Christians are trying to change America, but some pull with an oar of prayer only. They go around in circles. <laughs> Others pull with an oar only of activism, voter registration, etc. But in, if we use both oars and pull together strategically, prayer and public policy, we can make major progress in America. So prayer is always important and foundational for those who believe. Wow, excellent word. When we come back, speaking of words, you use the word empowered in a very crucial way in your book, your new book, A Manifesto. I want to talk about that when we return. Friends, this is Janet Parshall, and I want to take a moment to remind you that today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines aren't open. But I sure do appreciate your spending the hour with us. And thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of the program. Going through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other is essential for each of us on our walk with Christ. And that's what we do on In the Market. We examine culture, interpret the headlines, and look at the news from a biblical perspective. When you become a partial partner, you're directly responsible for putting this program on the air, reaching men and women across America with the practical application of God's Word. Become a partial partner today by calling 877-JANET-58 or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We're visiting with Bishop Harry Jackson, who's the senior pastor at Hope Christian Church in Beltsville, Maryland. He's also an award-winning author. The list of his accolades goes on and on and on. But this is a very timely conversation. He's written a book called A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. That's you and me as the followers of Christ. I want to get to this acrostic that you did with the word empowered in a minute, Harry. But let me pause at this point in the conversation, because I know that there are people, only because these are ideas that they haven't vetted fully or they haven't seen in its application why there is not this conflict. You are not. Let me put words in your mouth and tell me if I'm right or wrong. You are not being political. What you're trying to do is to say, listen, we're called to uphold a standard of righteousness. Criminal reform is by that is part of that. By the way, you said something stunning. I talked to Tony Evans recently, and he talked about the seesaw between righteousness and justice, that the two move in tandem together. There is absolutely biblically a linkage between the two. So when you, for example, are seeking to protect the preborn, that's a biblical issue. When you're looking for criminal justice reform, that's a biblical issue. When you're talking about the sanctity of marriage, that's a biblical issue. But I think sometimes the church, capital C Universal, oftentimes says to people, ah, you're being political. This goes to your word picture of the boat and the oar a minute ago. You're just being political. I've known you a long time, Harry. That That's not who you are. You pastor a church you wear and bear all the responsibility that a senior pastor carries. You're interested in influencing and occupying until he comes. Am I right or wrong? You're absolutely correct. And if we are going to have freedoms to preach the gospel— in this representative democracy, we have got to engage. So if I say I'm not going to vote, I'm not going to care, and uh, let anybody and everybody have whatever office they want, 
the laws we got to remember laws are an expression of our corporate morality mm, that's good that's yeah so one time i was on a npr radio program having a great discussion and somebody called me up and said i don't like your ideas i don't want you to tell me what to do and i said you don't have to decide to follow what i say but the majority of people in this country get to voice their morality and their desires. And I explained to that irate listener that I was going to not abdicate my right to vote. Uh, Janet, my dad uh, was a World War II veteran. He came home, went to Florida A&M University. Mm. One night he was threatened by a policeman, actually a state trooper, who pulled the gun, put it to his head. He'd heard that my father had been involved in voter registration. And he then discharged the weapon over his head, temporarily deafening my father. Mm. So my father, when he went home, decided, I'm leaving the South. I'm going north. But when he got north, he participated in every election. When my mother died in her uh, mid-80s, the the year before her death, she was volunteering at the polls so that others could vote. Mm. They had a sign in the yard of one candidate, a sign on top of the car, bumper stickers, because they felt, it almost makes me cry, Mm -hmm. and my father, in his small way, had risked his life for a sacred right to have a voice, to have a say. So I don't care who you vote for, but not to engage uh, is, in my opinion, almost sinful. And I would say to folks, if I get them involved, eventually they're going to start thinking more biblically if they're believers. And eventually we're going to have a better land because engaged Christians, I think, can make the best citizens. Yeah, beautifully stated. Thank you for that. And again, you talked about a sin. I heartily concur with you. The book of James says if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it is a sin. If we're supposed to seek the welfare of the city, we're supposed to influence and occupy until he comes. If we're supposed to render on the Caesar— How do you do that without this priceless gift of voting? And so I think, and no one, Harry and I are never going to tell anybody who to vote for. That is between you and the Lord, and I hope you are seeking his wisdom before any election. But here's what I know. I can tell you about the outcome. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. So it is incumbent upon us to say, yes, Lord, the city of God, the city of man, this is Augustine's favorite work. Temporally, we're citizens here. We let our light so shine and we do vote. So now let me go to what you said with the word empowered. You took this word apart as an acrostic and you really laid out some wonderful ways in which we, the church, capital C Universal, can understand how we can serve minorities, which, by the way, 
I almost smile when I say that word, Harry, because you start out in the beginning of the book talking about the fact, well, minorities, uh, by the way, who would that be? The demographic is changing, right? It's not going to be a white majority in America anymore very quickly. So that's a word that's in motion, by the way. But break down the word empowered, if you would, and why this is crucial to your manifesto. I spell out this word, and the word empowered is E, educational reform, and we can talk about the fact that that's a barrier. We'll come back at perhaps. M is marriage rebuilding as a social strategy. Mm-hmm. We're losing the marriage culture, which means even such things from gender identity on through um, to the anger among youth has its root in the church, maybe not discipling people, in marrying mindsets. P stands for public policy reform, such as criminal justice reform issues. O stands for oversight of minority and community engagement. All Christians need to engage. Only one-fourth of them vote, of us vote. And uh, if three-quarters of the Christians voted, I believe we change America. Hmm. W is wealth creation and that has a deal with home ownership passed on to the next generation. E stands for entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship, if we had minority business owners who passed on a job and a sense of calling, we would have people turning around in our community, and that's amazing. R is righteousness and justice as moral guidelines. Then E, again, is empathy versus retaliation. Mm-hmm. That's more than forgiveness. And then finally, destiny with dignity for all humankind. I believe in being pro-life for the unborn. And then I'm pro the least of these in terms of education again. I go on to people who have made mistakes as teenagers, wind up in jail, and I say you should not euthanize people just because they're old. We are made in the image of God. So those are the nine attitudes with strategies that we can implement now. We need to send people into both parties as a fifth column, saying that we're going to infiltrate Democrats and Republicans And when they get to points where they want to go contrary to your word, then we sort of like 007 (laughs) stand up and say, I was under an assumed identity. You think I'm a Democrat. I'm really a Christian. I'm under an assumed identity. You think I'm a Republican. I'm really a Christian. And therefore, you can't do that. You can't say that. And I think rather than saying I'm an independent alone, We should understand how our representative government works and then push for these agenda items so that we don't have angry minorities when they become the majority trying to get vengeance. And we don't have whites who feel like they're getting their opportunities taken away uh, as it was in the old days when we're thinking um, you know, equal employment opportunities takes white jobs away. 
we really need to have righteousness, as Tony Evans said, mm-hmm. and justice being the foundation for God to show up and glorify his own name in America. Yes. And, boy, I tell you, friends, you would be hard-pressed to say that's a political statement. That's not. That's a biblical statement. And I'm going to go back again to the book of Jeremiah. One of those directives through that letter that God dictates to Jeremiah, who takes to those captive people, is to seek the welfare of the city. Bishop Harry Jackson is not talking about seeking the welfare of a particular political party. He's talking about upholding a standard of righteousness. And when you do that, guess what happens? We treat minorities in a different way, and we are in every sense of the word, e pluribus unum, one nation united together. Oh, Harry, I'm running out of time. I'm glad I have another segment with you, but there's so much in this book. Friends, I want you to read it because I'll tell you what, as you're praying and preparing for how you're going to be obedient to God, Whenever you vote, whenever an election comes up, I want you to read this book because Bishop Harry Jackson has so much biblical wisdom in here. So go to In the Market with JanetParshall.org. You know how this works. Click on that red box. It'll take you to the information page. There is much more on Bishop Harry Jackson. There's the book on the right-hand side, A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. Click through it. You'll find out how to get a copy. Back after this. The book is called A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. And in my opinion, it is a must read for every single person who understands your temporal citizenship is here in the United States of America. Your eternal citizenship, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, is in paradise with Jesus for the rest of eternity. And you got a lot of time to get caught up with your Savior. But right now, Got a lot of work to do until he comes, which brings me to a question I'm going to ask Bishop Harry Jackson, again, senior pastor at Hope Christian Church in Beltsville, Maryland, and the author of the book we're discussing, A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. I I know you've heard this, Harry. I hear it over and over and over again. Why bother? Jesus is coming. I've read the book. Things are going to get worse before they're going to get better. I don't like politics. It's all rancor and it's just self-exaltation and the whole system stinks and I have to hold my nose and I can't find a perfect candidate. So I'm going to sit this one out. And I think that feeds into the complacency and I'll be as bold as you are, the disobedience of Christians to not exercise that right to vote. They'll say it's not workable. It's not doable. It's not fixable. What would you say to them? Well, I would say to them that we're to pray, the Scripture says, um, for those in authority that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. And when um, both of the letters to Timothy were written, the church was essentially living under persecution. And so prayer is preemptive, and then we need to also see that in a representative government, the king are the people, or the king is the people. And what we've got to do is say, I can't blame some ruler somewhere for the bad things inside society. I've got to blame myself. Um, I need to take action to make things work. Now, all politics are local is an axiom, and I would say just start with the biggest office, the presidency, 
And then over time, you're going to do what my um, first cousin did, who became the chief justice of the Supreme Court. If I can tell his testimony, he's now deceased, died of cancer uh, a few years ago. But Leroy Hassell um, actually went to Harvard Law School, same time I was graduating from Harvard Business School. He went back home to Richmond, Virginia uh, area, and then he joined the school board. He served faithfully, volunteering, helping people. His goal was to become a one of the first black U.S. senators from his state. But as he got more and more involved and loved the law, worked for a major law firm there, he eventually found himself on the bench as a judge, worked his way through the system, was appointed justice and then chief justice. In Virginia, that's a job that Mm -hmm. your peers elect you. Mm -hmm. So engagement made a difference. Every Sunday, he stood at the door of his church and he passed out bulletins. He went to his pastor and said, I don't want to become a deacon. I don't want an office. I was taught by my family that if you love God, you'll serve God. And any time I'm in town, which is most of the time, I will be at that door serving the people. And don't make a big deal out of who I am. Yes, I'm a Supreme Court justice. But first of all, I'm a serving believer Mm. wanting to make a difference in the land. That was his legacy. Wow. But that's a standard for the rest of us to follow, this idea if we love God, we serve God. And there is absolutely a connection to be able to do both. Faith without works is dead, as the saying goes. Look around. The heart cry of this country is ever before us. You say so many powerful things in the book. One of the things you say is this, Harry. You say we need a religious awakening, a revival of personal holiness and adherence to biblical truth. So what about that? Do I need to make sure that my spiritual house is in order before I look around a broken culture and say, here's where we need to do some repairs? And am I called to do both at the same time? Because I don't want people to use this, well, I'm going to clean up my spiritual house first and say, that's an excuse for lack of serving and action. I would use an acrostic, again, I love them. Uh, I'd say aim for God. Mm. And with me, aim would be a alignment Every person listening to you needs to be a part of a church, needs a pastor, and I'll go so far as to say even pastors need pastors. That means they need to be in a denomination or fellowship of churches where they have somebody who can tell them you're wrong, someone who can say you're right, who can lead them, coach them. I'm finding that this is what we would call discipleship. Without alignment, we don't have that. So I keep growing because someone walks closely enough with me to coach me. The next letter I, I'd like to say, is intercession and prayer because I've got kids. My adult daughters are not yet married um, in this non-married culture. And... um, I want to intercede for them, my members, my family, and then immobilize. And that is based on my calling, I can mobilize the resources I have to make the differences 
that God wants for me. So yes, I think everybody ought to work on their spirituality while they're engaged, but it all starts with submitting to God as an individual, plugging in your own family, being a part of a church, and letting the church help change the nation. Wow, which I do believe is what one of our callings is, Harry. Thank you. And and I have to be honest and tell my friends all across the country who are listening, there is a depth of wisdom and wise biblical counsel in this book, and I've barely, barely skated across the surface. If you were in my class, you hear me say this right on books I'm particularly impressed with. This would be required reading. A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. Again, you can learn more. Go to our website. Get a copy. Read it now. Read it as a family. Use it in your private study time. Use it in your small group time. But read it and then say, God, what are you asking me to do? Have we truly been called for such a time as this? And if so, what do we need to do? Go to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Click on that red box. It says Program Details and Audio. It'll take you over to the information page. And click on through to see how you can get your copy of the book, A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. We have, no questions asked, been called for such a time as this. And thank you, God, for that opportunity. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall.